0: Are you looking for ways to strengthen your marriage? Would you like to raise children you enjoy being around? Do you long for a peaceful, orderly home that's a blessing to everyone who comes through its doors? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jennifer Flanders, a Bible-believing, homeschooling mother to 12 and host of the Loving Life at Home podcast. Join me as we discover what God's Word has to say about marriage, motherhood, and minding the things that matter most. Hello, friend. Welcome back to Loving Life at Home. In this week's episode, we are talking about arguments and how we can avoid arguments in marriage. By which I don't mean disagreements. Every couple is going to have disagreements, every couple is going to occasionally butt heads, but how can we avoid the The angry tones, the harsh words, the hurt feelings, that sort of thing. Now, uh, as it happens, my husband and I just celebrated 36 years of marriage. We've known each other 37 years, been married 36, and last week we celebrated that anniversary. One of the things that I always do is decorate my husband's car on our anniversary. When we got married, we took a limousine from the church to the hotel and they had strict rules against defacing the limousine with any kind of shoe polish or that sort of thing. So we ended up driving that distance in a relatively unmarked car and I kind of missed having the tin cans and the balloons and streamers and all that sort of thing. So I've been making up for it ever since and every Every year, I paint something on my husband's car on our anniversary date, just as a reminder that I do love him, and I'm so grateful that I married him so many years ago. So on this anniversary last week, I painted the words, just married, 36 years, and my wife still adores me. And I considered writing... My wife still adores me 99.999% of the time, but I decided to just round up for simplicity's sake. But the fact is, sometimes my husband does do things that irritate me Usually it involves taking things to goodwill that I'm not ready to uh, part with. But despite the fact that we're both firstborns and innately stubborn, over those three and a half decades of marriage together, we have learned a thing or two about how to stop a quarrel before it ever starts, which is a very biblical concept. So today I want to share our top 10 tips for couples who want to quit quarreling. The first thing that I would recommend doing is turning in your pride for humility. Nobody is right 100% of the time, so stop pretending that you're the exception to this rule. Be willing to look at things from your spouse's perspective. Put at least as much effort into understanding the other person's viewpoint as you put into articulating your own. How many marriages have been destroyed by the stubborn refusal of either or both parties to humbly accept such basic consideration. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, 18 that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And James 4, 6 tells us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if our pride is offensive to the God who loved us and created us and sent his son to die on our behalf, then how much more off-putting is it going to be to a sinful spouse who um, does not have God's patience or long-suffering? So that would be my first tip is just to get rid of the pride and to approach your spouse with a spirit of humility. The second tip would be to give up your right to have the last word. Have you ever known or been married to someone who insists on always having the last word? It can be super annoying, can't it? Don't be that person. Once you have gently explained your point of view, challenge yourself to remain quiet and voluntarily grant that last word privilege to your spouse. My husband once accused me of being in, actually more than once, but I'm thinking of this one time in specific, uh, accused me of being incapable of admitting when I'm wrong. And I have to admit to you that I really wanted to argue with him on that point. But the nature of the accusation meant that if, I did, I would just be proving his point. So instead, I made it my goal to admit I was wrong every opportunity I got. And so for the next two or three months, I would say, oh, you're right, I was wrong about everything I could possibly think of. You're right, I was wrong, we are out of milk. Or you're right, I was wrong, that store is closed on Sunday. Or whatever the issue was, I made it my goal to prove he was wrong by admitting I was wrong at every opportunity that I could honestly do that. Now, I really like poetry and one poem by Ogden Nash that I, relates to this topic that I like is uh, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the wedding cup. Whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. I don't think any of us like to be told, I told you so. So just again, let your spouse have the last word. Don't insist on on taking it for yourself every single time. Proverbs 10:19 offers further guidance in this area. It reads, with a multitude of words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who receives restrains his lips is wise. So let's work on being wise and restraining our lips. My third tip for avoiding arguments in marriage is to stay calm, especially when your spouse is stirred up. It's almost inevitable that your spouse will occasionally do or say something that irritates you, yet it's so important to keep those feelings of annoyance from turning into anger, particularly when the irritation is mutual, because as much as he gets on my nerves, sometimes I know I get on his nerves as well. The Bible warns us um, not to let our anger control us. Ephesians 4, 26 reads, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's bad enough when one of you gives into anger. But if you both lose your temper at the same time, the potential for damage is doubled. So take a deep breath, count to 10, do whatever it takes to keep a cool head, especially when the other partner is not being cool. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger and so just don't answer harshly. If, if your spouse is being harsh, avoid getting upset at the same time he is. James 119 also reminds us that we need to be quick to hear, to listen, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger because the anger of man does not achieve the righteous results that God desires. And that's a good word for us when it comes to avoiding conflict and unnecessary argument in marriage. Then number four, I would say is not to belabor a point. My dad used to say, Jennifer, you don't have to drive it in the ground and break it off. Meaning I I don't need to perseverate on something until I just weary everybody with my insistence on it. Make it your aim to communicate your thoughts clearly, but concisely. This is a goal over which you have some measure of control. Whereas convincing the other person to agree with you, completely or to abandon their viewpoint in favor of your own is not in your control. And if you make that your goal, then you're going to be setting yourself up for frustration and disappointment. Proverbs 21.1 reminds us that the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. Only God can change somebody's heart, including your spouse's, and your multiplying words is not going to change their heart. You can say what you need to say calmly and concisely and then leave the results up to god don't act like it's on your shoulders to convince your spouse of anything then my fifth tip on avoiding quarrels would to be quick to apologize again Ephesians 4.26 says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's how the Bible advises us to deal with anger. It gives you only a few hours to bury the hatchet before bedtime. So if you've had a spat, don't wait for your spouse to make the first move towards reconciliation. Accept whatever blame belongs to you and apologize without pointing fingers. Uh, I think it was Eric Segal said, Uh, Love means never having to say you're sorry. I think that's a rotten saying. I think love means never hesitating to say you're sorry. And so don't, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't wait for your spouse to make the first move. If you've done something wrong, apologize and be done with that then my sixth point would be forgive. And I would really recommend forgive even before you're asked to do so. You should forgive your spouse freely as frequently as you're asked to do so. Even if it's multiple times a day, Peter said, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times. He thought that he was really going over the top to say seven. I think the standard was three. And so he doubled it and added one. And he felt like uh, that was really being generous to forgive somebody seven times. And Jesus said, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. In other words, don't even keep track. You need to forgive as I've forgiven you. You need to forgive others. When you forgive, especially if it's unsolicited, you are protecting your own heart against bitterness and resentment, and you're keeping your conscience clear toward God, which promises, God promises to forgive us as we forgive others. So I want to be generous in that forgiveness. Uh, Ruth Bell Graham famously said, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. And I know some offenses are much harder to forgive than others, but I also know that God will freely supply all the grace you need to do so. My seventh tip would be to anticipate problems in advance. With a little forethought, you can resolve many problems before they ever even crop up. Just identify common argument triggers and agree on an appropriate course of action beforehand. I know it puts my husband on edge if he walks in and the house is a wreck, so I try to keep things tidy for his peace of mind. Likewise, he knows that I don't like for him to look at his phone while we're driving, so he normally has me answer it for him when he gets a call on the road, or I do the texting if he needs to write somebody while we're traveling. And uh, if he needs to look at a map, he's gotten to where... Uh, he's a lot better at pulling over and looking at it. You know, before before GPS and before cell phones, he would look at a map before we ever set off on a trip and memorize the route and not even have to consult it. And now, you know, with GPS, it has just made our brains um, not function as well as they did before. We just are so dependent on it. And um, trying to, to drive even across the state is sometimes a struggle to do it without... Without looking. So, anyway, he knows that that bothers me. So he tries to let me um, do that for him. The beginning of strife, Proverbs seventeen fourteen says, is like the letting out of water. So abandon a quarrel before it breaks out. And if you can circumvent that quarrel completely by taking some precautionary measures, then I would advise you do that. I like that acronym HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. When I know my husband is coming in from work and he is all those things, hungry, angry, not necessarily lonely because we have a bunch of people at the house to welcome him home, but tired, definitely. And I know not to bring up big matters to him when he first walks in the door, but to let him decompress, get some food in his belly, rest up a little bit before I bring something heavy to him. So that that's another way of abandoning a quarrel before it breaks out is to just uh, wait for a more opportune time to address it. Then my eighth tip would be to embrace your differences. Let's face it, men and women are inherently different, not only in the way that their bodies are made, but in the way that they think and act and in what they value oftentimes. So different is not necessarily wrong, it's it's just different. So stop trying to change your spouse to be more like you and instead learn to embrace those differences. Adapt to them. Be Grateful for them. Celebrate the fact that they do exist. Life would be pretty boring if they didn't. Vive la différence uh, is the way the French would say it, meaning long live the differences between the sexes. And we are so grateful that God did create us male and female, and he has given each of us strengths that complement the other, and I'm so grateful for that. Then my ninth tip would be to confront sin Carefully, of course, not all differences between um, husbands and wives are a matter of taste or preference or opinion. Sometimes our differences are rooted in sin, and if such a power is at play in your marriage, and to some degree, sin rears its ugly head in every relationship, you may need to address the matter with your spouse. But when you do, do it in a firm but loving way, and pray for wisdom and for the right words to say in the right timing when you broach the subject. James one five promises: uh, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men freely and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And I would, I would say, pray for wisdom. Be specific. Don't generalize. None of this. You always. You never. Don't generalize. Um, address the specific issue that needs addressing. Seek forgiveness for anything you've done that may have contributed to the problem. And like I said in the fifth tip above, be willing to um, admit when you're wrong and apologize as necessary. And then leave room for the Holy Spirit to work in your spouse's heart, convicting him of sin and drawing him unto repentance because that Again, is His work. It's not something that you can do. We cannot change hearts, but God can. In Second Corinthians 7, 9, Paul writes, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. And we want our husbands to be drawn by God's Spirit to repentance for anything in their life that uh, needs addressing any sin issues that they're struggling with. We, we don't want to just heap guilt upon guilt and blame upon blame. We want God to do a work in their heart because uh, feeling guilty and repenting of wrong behavior are two different things. And sometimes we as wives want to usurp the role of the Holy Spirit and try to be the Holy Spirit in the lives of our husband. And that does not end well, ever. So you let God be God. You be the wife. And if there's an issue in your husband's life that does need to be addressed, you address it lovingly, respectfully for his good and God's honor, and then trust God to work in his heart to change him. Brothers and sisters, Galatians 6.1 says, if someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, gently, but watch yourself as you also might be tempted. So again, no room for pride. Do this in humility. Do it gently in love for um, your spouse's good as well as for God's glory. Then my 10th point is a little counterintuitive, but uh, I would, I'm going to say it anyway. If you have to argue, argue naked. Of course, if you're driving down the street, I don't mean uh, strip off your clothes in the car. You probably have children in the car. But if you have big things to discuss with your husband, do that in the privacy of your bedroom, lock the door, and disrobe. Uh, There are several advantages to having difficult discussions in the nude. First of all, you're less likely to storm out of the room and slam the doors and stomp off in uh, anger if you don't have any clothes on. You're going to sit there and work it out. Second... Being naked puts you both in an exposed, vulnerable position. And tempers are less likely to flare when that's the case. Then third, uh, if you don't have any clothes on, then you're one step closer to making up when peace is restored. And fourth, seeing one another naked may inspire you to skip the argument altogether and just enjoy some physical intimacy instead. And once the resultant endorphins are circulating in your system, you might find that the things that were irritating you earlier no longer even matter to your post-sex brain. That's a win-win. That old slogan that was coined by the hippie generation of the 60s, make love, not war, is even more appropriate in the context of marriage. So uh, that would be my 10th tip for avoiding arguments in marriage. It has worked for us. All these principles are not uh, theoretical. They are things that my husband and I have been using with great success for over 36 years now. So we still have impassioned discussions from time to time. We still have different personalities and don't always see eye to eye, but we love one another and we're a team and we're committed to marriage in general, to each other in specific, and we can attest that these guidelines coupled with God's unsurpassed grace have kept our disagreements from driving a wedge into our relationship and I pray they will do the same for yours. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have a question you'd like to hear covered on this podcast, Message me on Instagram at Flanders underscore family or contact me through my website, lovinglifeathome.com. Before you go, if you've been encouraged by something you've heard on the show, do me a favor and forward the link to a friend or head over to Loving Life at Home on Apple iTunes to subscribe and leave a written review of the show. Your doing so will help others find me so they can listen too. Until next time, I pray the Lord will bless your efforts to build a loving home life centered on Him.